Hello and welcome to Lore Watch. We're on table three. Lore show. It is absolutely the lore show. <laughs> and hopefully that came through because I don't know, because that was definitely in the red on my end. Um, Sorry, I apologize. I'm going <laughs> to lose my mind right now. <laughs> well, I'm Joe Perez, one of several lore focused folks, and you have already heard from Matt Rossi, my stupendous co host. Uh, we are going to be answering more of you, our listeners' questions. If you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them in to podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show therefore in the subject if you don't mind we would take that as a kindness if you don't want to send us an email uh, you can go ahead and hit us up on discord if you're a patreon subscriber you get access to our patron q and podcast questions channel you can ask your questions there as a matter of fact almost all of the ones today come from there um, we try to give our patreon supporters first first dibs as a way of saying thank you for supporting us and helping us keep the lights on if you can't support us financially you still want to hit us up on discord we do have the q and podcast questions channel and uh, again, you can just hit us up there and just in either case, just specify what show it's for. Uh, yeah. Without further ado, I guess we're let's get right into it. First one comes from our friend Tetsemi. Where would you plant a new world tree and would you make it the new Night Elf home city? If not, what home would you make for them? Matt, I know you have opinions about elves, so I'm going to let you mm-hmm. go first. Uh, I mean, I know stuff from the coming patch that we're actually in now. And so I I am aware that that this is not necessarily merely a theoretical or hypothetical question. Um, I don't necessarily know where on Azeroth I'd put a new world tree. I certainly don't think I would put it where the last one was. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, For one thing, that that place is a graveyard. uh, And it should probably be kept as a graveyard. So I wouldn't put it there. Honestly... I, I don't know. I, I don't, there's a, there's an argument for pretty much any place in like both Kalimdor and the Eastern kingdoms. Cause there's a lot of places that were part of the night elf empire before the splitting of ancient Kalimdor. Like there's places around Stormwind, uh, in Darkshore, Darkshire, for instance, there's an old night elf portal. You could justify putting it there. You could justify, uh, any place in Feralos. There's lots of places you could put it. Um, the problem with that is that, I mean, putting it on in the Eastern Kingdoms, it's that's not where they were living when, you know you know what I mean? They haven't been there for like 10,000 years. And it's it's a place that they went to in Stormwind. They went there as a group of refugees. I don't think that's where they're going to want to establish uh, their new civilization or anything like that. They don't, they're not going to want to be in the place where they were, you know, in need of help. But at the same time, going back to... Kalimdor, I mean, again, you just have to keep dealing with like the horrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. This is actually something I've been thinking about a lot because it is one of the questions that is the most difficult to answer uh, in terms of like how this story moves forward. Is that is there a way to really do this that actually closes off what happened? And I don't think there is. Uh, I don't think you can ever have closure on this. This is one of the reasons why I was so shocked that they did it in the first place. Because it is, to a certain degree, it, the same problem exists uh, for the for the unde- the Forsaken in the Undercity, but much less so because it isn't the Alliance who did that. The Alliance didn't blow up the Undercity. Uh, Sylvanas did as War Chief of the Horde. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like it's a genocide committed by the uh, the opposing faction. Whereas Teldrassil and Tarnassus absolutely is a genocide, com- you know, committed by the Horde and. In this tale of war is bad, we, we're constantly getting this thing about how it's, you know, war is inherently destructive and corruptive. Why is it only one faction keeps committing actual genocide? Just as a as a writing exercise, that's kind of weird. It's always the horde. And that's if you want to portray this as a murky, painful situation where where everybody makes bad moral decisions. It has to be more than some just point, the, yeah. At some point, somebody else has to do the bad thing. And so, I mean, it certainly could make a case for the Alliance having done bad things. Uh, the whole internment camps fiasco uh, absolutely was a result of the Alliance. But then again, it's Alliance negligence, isn't it? It's not like Alliance didn't really have a, they weren't, they weren't trying to do anything bad necessarily. The Alliance they as a just, whole, no individuals were, but it, it's, 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 yeah. it's not the it's, same. It's, it's incompetence. It's not malfeasance. Well, in, in the case of the Alliance, no, the malfeasance is individual people. Yeah. Already, I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. 
in terms of the alliance, though, it was the incompetence of the various people that made that up that weren't. There was like literally no oversight. Nobody came over to to, to tell. Uh, I want to say Blackmore. Yeah, nobody came over to tell Blackmore. Hey, uh, what are you doing? What's this whole training orcs to fight thing? I don't recall anyone telling you to do that. They just let him go. And again, all of the you're, you're saying. What does this have to do with putting a night elf tree down? And and I get you, but it does kind of speak to it because it's like, what place would you? You can't put it in Hygel. They've got one. It's growing back. You can't really put it in uh, North in Northrend. Kind of have one there, and that didn't work out at all well. Um, you have to put it somewhere where you know it's not going to grow into an old god, right? You don't want the roots going into an old god like we just saw that in Ordrasil. We know that doesn't go well. Where do you put this thing? And, you know, the, the honest answer for this might be you don't. But if you are going to do it, if you're absolutely going to do it, and some people are really upset the idea that the Dragon Isles might be where it ends up, I honestly think the Dragon Isles are one of your better options. You know, I mean, where else? If you, at least if you put it on the Dragon Isles, the dragons might be inclined to guard it again. They didn't. They haven't. They didn't guard Teldrassil at all. And look how that worked out. You know, if at least if the dragons felt invested in it, they might help protect it, and it may do better than the last one. So I don't know. I mean, I honestly do not have an answer to this question of where would I put it. Um, part of me would put it in Ashara just to be spiteful. But again, this one, really, like literally, Nordrasil's up there. <laughs> you know, you can't just put another one right next to it. it. This is not like a, this is the problem with world trees. You can't just have them really close to each other. It's just like, well, what are we doing? Why is there another giant tree here? So yeah, I don't, uh, to, for the first question, I can think of places to put it, but I don't know of any place that I really feel addresses the issue of this thing is supposed to serve as a, as a symbol of rebirth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. <clears throat> Maybe it's literally going to do create some rebirth. Maybe it's going to rebirth something. I don't, one option would be that it will rebirth Teldrassil. I don't like that option because I don't think Teldrassil, I don't want us to just forget what happened to Teldrassil. Yeah. Like I'm with you on that one. And I think that's sort of like the big, big takeaway for me, right? Like is Teldrassil happened and I don't think it should be erased. And the reason I say that is because having sort of a rebirth and having them resettle in that land feels weird, right? Like it, it it's it's tainted ground in a lot of ways. It's it'd a lot like of building. It'd be like building your new home on top of Pompeii. We or, and we also literally have a bunch of horror movies that talk about what happens when you build a a, a, a town or a, a, a homes on top of like you know the burial ground of like ancient angry deceased things. Um, several of them, in fact. But even beyond that. I think it proved how unsafe the location was. And when you think about the original like planting of Teldrassil and how that all went down and it wasn't really planned and it wasn't really uh, thought about in such a manner and it really wasn't, um, it, it was kind of was something that somebody did and then everybody kind of rolled with. Um, I think they have an opportunity to have more forethought and more, understanding of the world at large and the world is beset let's be honest azeroth is beset regularly by cataclysmic events and whether that is the legion falling from the sky the shadowlands rending the tear open in reality uh in the, or the forces of death flooding through it you don't want to build in that old location anyway because it's not defensible and that sounds maybe a little bit weird but Think about it. You don't want to repeat what happens should somebody get angry again. I mean, you could argue that it was, in fact, very defensible uh, because it was defended quite heavily. It was. Uh, just because something falls doesn't mean it wasn't defensible. There's been plenty of extremely important strategic places that were heavily defended and, and chosen for a very good reason that still fall. Uh, the problem with Teldrassil was that, in part, uh, Sylvanas is just a very good strategian, uh, strategian, I should say. She waited till the exact right moment to attack when the the uh, Night Elves didn't even have close to their full force. Um, and the rest of the Alliance couldn't come rushing to their defense. And even then, it, it was a long slog up through, you know, Horde lands into Night Elf lands, which they destroyed on their way, to finally get within range. And they weren't even within range of Teldrassil 
if they didn't have Azerite weapons. Like th- that was a, like nobody thought that those catapults could actually hit Teldrassil, much less do anything to it. Uh, so I get what you're saying, but- and I don't think you'd want to build. I, I don't think the thing is, is nothing to do with defensibility and everything to do with isolation. Well, that's my thing about this. The night elves have been trying to keep their isolation while still technically being part of the Alliance for a while now. And I don't think that works. I don't think you can be isolated in the world anymore. I don't think that anybody can, if the nightborn can't manage it, you know, if the Nightborn have to join some group in order to become protected and stronger, then the Night Elves aren't pulling it off. Maybe. Um, that's, and, that's definitely a way to think about it. Yeah. And secondly, if we don't want to have another war between the Alliance and the Horde, and it feels like at least most of the Alliance and the Horde don't want to do that, then the, the there needs to be a way to reduce the frictions between so, the, the Horde and the Alliance, and specifically between the Night Elves and the Horde. And I honestly think that we've talked about this before, about trying to do some kind of cross-elf thing. And one thing that you could do with this world tree, if you were going to be of a mind to do this, is you could try to use it to create that unity. To have it not be necessarily specifically, or at least not specifically a town for night elves, but if you make it a memorial to the to, to all elves who have died in senseless wars over the past, I don't know, ever, forever, always, since the Sundering. I mean, elves as a group, every single elven group on the, the, the planet descends from people who suffered through the original Sundering. You could call the Sundering a Sundering of Kalimdor, right? Does that make sense? Sure. But it's also a Sundering of elves, because before the Sundering, elf meant Kaldorai. Period. If you said elf, that's who you were talking about. Whether they lived in Suramar, whether they lived in, in Zinashari, wherever they were, they were all just plain Kaldorai. All of them. I mean, even the highborn weren't different people. They were just the, the snobs, the upper crust, the, uh, the aristocracy. They weren't like considered a new group. And after the Sundering, that's when you start seeing the elves fracture. That's where you actually see the uh, Nightborn, the Shaldari get isolated for, you know, up until the present day. That's when you see the, the High Elves actually go from being just aristocrats to a group that leaves and changes their entire culture to diver- differentiate themselves. And even the Kaldari abandon their culture. The culture of the Highborn, the High Elves, when they went off to and lived in Eastern Kingdoms, is more like what night elf society was like before the sundering than what the night elves do now and have been doing for like 10,000 years. Right. So maybe the answer here isn't for the night night elves to put it anywhere, but for all elves to put it somewhere and for all elves to come to it and treat it as a place of reverence, maybe even put it in a place of reverence. Maybe it should be where the, you know, where, the Zinashari was. Maybe it should be an Ishara, but not as a night elf bastion, but as this neutral meeting ground for all. Well, elves. it can't be Zinashari because Zinashari is underneath uh, Najatar, right? Yeah, but as Ashara Shar- as itself, the zone Ashara, which is probably where Zinashari originally was, because there's ruins of it. Yeah, but I, put so it there. I don't think that's ever going to happen know. because that's too close to the you know main horde central hub. But going yeah. back to the original thought that I that I was going with, I I kind of. While we know what's happening in 10.1, and as it is live, you will eventually play and get to it. Um, If we didn't know that was coming, I honestly wouldn't even bother with a new world tree. And the reason I say that is because world trees have sort of become a thing. They just exist. They have all this thing where they keep trying to make these world trees. Um, But what is their purpose? Is it for Night Elf Immortality? Well, at one point it was. Uh, or Kaldori immortality. Uh, is it to cap powerful fonts of power? At one point, it, it was supposedly for that as well. What does it do anymore? Does Azeroth even need it anymore? Do the elves need it anymore? In my ideal portrayal of this, it would be the elves sort of moving away from the need of building a city in the world tree and letting the tree just exist. But going off of Matt's idea, and he kind of hit on something that I was going to go into a little bit, I would like to see an entire zone 
dedicated to elf unity. And they have the opportunity to sort of do this right now if they really wanted to, uh, or they could have. Obviously, it's not the direction that they're going, but if it was me, it would have been the elves clearing out Hyjal, pushing back and separating the elemental plane of fire from its encroachment into it, and then reestablishing Hyjal as a whole for a bastion for all of the elves to come together. It's close enough that you can still interact with everybody. You have a very complicated network of tunnels underneath that basically double the size. As a matter of fact, the trolls uh, originally settled there uh, way, way long ago um, and lived under in those tunnel systems, the dark trolls. You have the new night, the, the current night elves that could, that obviously are living there temporarily, but you have other elves that could be bringing home. They could be brought home. Matt talks about this idea of, you know, everybody coming back to sort of like, what is the sacred central ground? I can't think of something better than that in that regard. So for me, you'd go there and you'd see sun elves or blood elves. You'd see the mages coming back as they're helping to weave the the protection of uh, from the elemental plane of fire. You would see the night elves. You would see uh, even the void elves potentially um, all sort of like figuring out how to come together and have their own little pockets or, or whatever. So that it felt like a diverse, almost like regionalization of them. But I personally don't like the idea of a world tree anymore. And that's just me. We know that that neither of those things are going to happen um, since mm-hmm. yeah. since, since we, we know that there are some spoilers ahead for 10.1. Yeah. You asked what I would do. Not, yeah, not, exactly. Not what is going to happen. Yeah. But that's what I would do is I would turn Mount Hyjal into a zone of elves where the elves could come from all over and reestablish a cultural home for all of them and then learn to interact with each other again and maybe become unified. Uh, also, because it's sort of I don't want to say it like this, but maybe has an opportunity of keeping Azjara out for a little longer. Uh, since we knew know that even Malfurion was able to seal that place off for a very long time. Uh, so if they needed to, they could defend it, but it's also not isolated as much as maybe uh, Teldrassil was because Teldrassil was among none of its allies. This would be at least in an area where you could probably justify exchanges they'd be close enough that maybe they could still receive aid but they wouldn't be so close to like i don't want to say the enemy's backyard but like their ancestral transgressions that are are visited upon them from the horde uh to elves in general they wouldn't be like right next door to them like so i don't know there's that's what i would do it's not what's going to happen but that's what we would do whatever else um can we agree not to build anything on top of a giant tree anymore yeah, nothing on top of a giant tree. I want to build more cities on giant yeah. trees. It's not a good idea. Build no. the city under the tree. That way, maybe the tree will fall on part of the city, but maybe it'll fall over there and only some of the city will get it. No more on top of the city, because when you're on top of the city, whatever happens to the tree happens to you. It's just not a good move. Yeah. I just, I just really feel like this needs to be emphasized. Uh, giant tree, great. Love giant trees. They're awesome. Living on it, not a good move. I would agree. We are, we are not Wookiees. <laughs> This isn't gonna go. So yeah, just just that needed to be said. I would agree. This is why I like also like like the idea of Hydro because of the the vast caverns underneath. We haven't been under there. We don't know what's below there. And also that'd be for me and my my brain wanting to explore new regions uh, aside from Abaris. Like having the ancient ancestral underground home of where essentially the Kaldori sprang from. Yes, please. I would like to see this. Uh, but that, I think that's going to do it for that one. I think we're going to move on to our next one now. Uh, this one comes from KTS Stories. Who do you think the skinned wolf creature is in Diablo 4? My current theory is redacted spirit after he was redacted in the cutscenes at the end of the beta storyline. Back to give some due balance to both halves of the equation that got him redacted. I'm curious to see if either of you have any theories yet. I did not get to play Diablo 4, uh, so I am going to, one, give a mild spoiler warning, come back in about 10 minutes, uh, and then say, Matt, what up? What, what's going on with this? Uh, honestly, I think your theory about Redacted is a good one. I think it's quite possible. Well, spo- you, can, you can use it. We did a spoiler warning. You can do well, names. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Just let me finish. Considering that he was a Redacted, and has power over redacted. It seems quite possible that he could have survived redacting and 
now that I've said that enough times that I feel like I've been silly enough, yeah, I think that, although it's not certain to be Rathmon, a.k.a. Lenarian, a.k.a. Inarius and Lilith's, you know, kid, I think it is possible because he was a necromancer, because he knew what was going to happen to him, because he'd had the prophecy in the first place. So it's quite possible that he set up a bolt hole for himself where they kill him. You know, Inarius is the one who killed him. That's that's in this. If you've seen enough to know, that's who did it. He knew full well his father was going to kill him. He knew all of this was going to happen. He'd seen it. When his father comes to him and demands that he give him the key, he straight up intimates, yeah, I know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know what you're going to do. So I think it is quite possible that he set up something like where he would not pass, um, where he would go into the world in some fashion. Because he mentions the serpent that gave him the prophecy in the first place. Uh, that serpent, and and unfortunately, I, even though I, I've even written... Essence, Tragul, thank you, God. Brain finally kicked in. Tragul has, he mentions him. He doesn't say his name, but he mentions him. And this cuts back to a whole thing I've been thinking about from the beginning about the nature of necromancy, why it is the balance magic of sanctuary. Why is death magic the balance? Like, wh- how do you, why is that what balances the world? Dying? Isn't dying one half of a balance? And that makes sense if you think of life and death as antithesis and thesis. But what if the reason that death is the pivot point, death is the fulcrum, is because this entire reality ultimately descends from a decision made by a single primordial entity before creation existed? When the original primordial Anu chose to split itself into good and evil, or order and chaos, or however you want to look at it, it chose to, to take away everything it found repulsive in itself and throw that over there. Uh, insert Star Trek line about skin of evil by race of Titans, blah, blah. When Tathamet and Ananu came to be, that's the moment that the universe was created and it ends in both of their deaths. Death created the universe. The death of the original Anu was when it tore itself into two different beings. It, from that moment, it was dead. And when they confronted each other and fought, they both died. And in their deaths, came the angels and the demons. Both were born out of the remains of their dead antis- their dead precedents. In each case, the universe comes more into shape with death. Death reveals something in the sanctuary cosm. It, it reveals new complexities, new ideas come from death. So Whatever Tragul is, and we don't know what it is, we know that it is some kind of serpent that is tied to Sanctuary. We know that Sanctuary was created by Anarius using the World Stone, a.k.a. the Eye of Anu, a remnant from the original conflict between Anu and Tathamed. We don't really know what the Eye of Anu is. We don't know if it's actually literally an Eye of Anu, or if it is a piece of of both of those beings, Tathamet and Anu. Maybe it is the last remaining fragment of the original Anu. But whatever it is, it was created by the destruction of the two previously, who themselves were created by the original destroying itself. And in each case, you'll notice that the, the world after that death is more complex than the world before. Like, you've got one being, then you've got two beings. All of a sudden, now you've got a multitude of beings. Now you have, instead of just one featureless void with like a kind of diamond eggshell shape to it, you now have a, a complicated cosmos with heaven, hell, and purgatory in it. And purgatory is like the scar tissue from where the two previous gods fought. And then with the, the last remnant of that original world, you now create sanctuary, a new realm that exists kind of outside of all of this. And then you destroy the world stone, which means that now the potential for becoming Nephilim is returned. The Nephilim created by uh, Lilith and Inarius and their followers who meld together angel and demon in a whole new configuration. And the world stone's power itself was used to, to stunt them and change them. But now the world stone itself has just been destroyed. And now the balance keeper is dead. But death to a, what, what is death to a necromancer? especially to the necromancer, the one that the other necromancers literally call themselves priests of. So yeah, your idea does have some merit. Uh, It's quite possible that that thing that we see could be Rathma. Uh, It could also be Mendel. 
for that matter. If we're, if we're going to talk about people we ain't seen in a while, uh, we haven't seen Mendel in a really long time. We haven't seen him since the sin war books. Yep. I don't think he's ever popped up in a single game. No, I don't think he has. So then again, that could be Mendel who's follow, who's running around following Lilith. Maybe he broke and, uh, took on this new identity, or maybe that's just somebody entirely new. We don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think your idea has merit, but it's almost more interesting to consider why he would decide to come to, to not die or to die. <sighs> See, here's the thing. And I, I know Joe knows this, so he'll, he'll probably chime in at this point. But one of the interesting things about a lot of cultures, uh, be they uh, various Mesoamerican ones, be they ones in Europe and, and Asia, uh, be they African and so on, is there's, there's a mystical tradition of undergoing death or near death in order to gain power and understanding. Yeah. Uh, going all the way back to the, the Norse myth of Odin, which is itself a derived myth that comes down to them from earlier ancestors. But the, the Norse myth of Odin is basically in order to gain wisdom, he hung himself from the tree, uh, the world tree, the world tree, not, not a world tree. We're, we're in a different question now, but the world tree, he hung himself from, from Yggdrasil for nine nights and he did this to basically die and thus attain the wisdom of, of the runes and power beyond that, which he understood before. So death is in it. There's a lot of traditions of psychopomps. There's a lot of this stuff in mysticism. The idea of death as a gateway, as a threshold beyond which maybe it, it can be a kind of spiritual death. It can be literally death. Uh, there's a lot of different ways this plays out, but I think we should keep that in mind when we're looking at this whole thing. Yeah. The interesting thing though, too, in the Diablo universe is like spiritualism is not really, we haven't really talked about that a whole lot. We talk about demons. We talk about angels. We talk about the Nephilim. We talk about a lot of powers that exist in sort of, I don't want to call it reality, but I, I don't want to say the mortal plane because both the abyss and, and uh, the, the high heavens are, are completely uh, separate planes of existence. They existed before sanctuary, but where do souls go in Diablo when they die? Well, we know that mortal human souls go to where the world stone was in, in purgatory in, in the, uh, I want to say the pandemonium fortress. Yep. On pandemonium. They did. Yeah. That's where they went. Uh, they were still going there as of Diablo three. Now and, and it should be pointed out that that's not because of, Oh, bloody heck. Re- the, the Malthiel is not because of Malthiel that they were going there. He observed that they were going there, but he didn't make them go there and he wasn't keeping them. Going right. There. But the, the interesting thing is like, what happens to those spirits that go in there? Do they exist? Do they wait to be used as energy again? Um, the reason I bring this up is because before Diablo three, we've encountered spirit beings. We've talked with the dead. We've, we've had interactions that have occurred canonically in story uh, and game that sort of leads you to believe that there is a level of consciousness that, that maintains its existence after the body is done uh, with at least, well, at least the humanity. Now, well, I mean, you know, you don't have to just say before Diablo three, because in Diablo three, you get plenty of that. Well, when I say before, I mean, before Malthiel and everything that happened there. Okay. Right. But I mean, it, it's fascinating to me because like, if they go back to the world stone and they're waiting for a rebirth or they're waiting to be used again or whatever the case is, there's still a level of consciousness. So all of these beings, like what you're saying could actually play into this, that, that sort of what we know in real life of like pushing yourself to the brink of death and coming back with expanded knowledge. What if these people are the, the first ones that figured that out? What if that is what necromancers do? What if that is what the balance is, is about expanding your understanding and why it does happen to always be linked with death magic and necromancy is because that's the only true way for that particular type of spirit to have any sort of understanding. And here's where we come back to Tragul. There you go. Cause here's the thing about Tragul. We don't know anything about it. We know that it is this vaguely draconic being like an enormous serpent that interfered during the sin war. It, it brought Malthiel, not Malthiel. It brought uh Mendel to it and taught him alongside Rathma and it taught Rathma before that this, this is admitted in the sin war books. It taught Rathma about the balance and necromancy. What is it? Did, did the world stone create it or did it create the world stone and did it create the world stone 
because it created Anu and Tathamit because it is Anu. And it didn't just rip away all the stuff it didn't like about itself. It pulled itself into two separate beings so it could observe them. And in their death struggle, a new world was born, which was more complex and had more for them to understand. And then it got more complex and there's more to understand and learn by being part of it. There's a, this is a, all part of traditions we've got on Earth right now. Uh, vaguely called Gnosticism, Manichaeanism, Zoroastrianism, uh, Kabbalah, so forth, so on. There's lots of different ones that believe this. But the basic idea is that the entire cosmos is one mind seeking to understand itself. And everything that every part of it goes through, including you, is all a part of that process. You're all thoughts in the mind of God, is one way to put it. Imagine if sanctuary itself is just the latest stage for this being to come from being an isolated nothing to being something. And the only way to be something is to literally be something. You have to actually have existence. As a cosmic force, Anu could never be anything. Yeah, because it was he everything. just was. He just was. Yeah. yeah. Of all things, you can use the comic book Secret Wars 2, which was one of the worst comic book series ever put out, but it does still kind of answer that question. It's like, what good is it to be a god if you're alone? What is it, you know, if your entire universe is just you, what are you? There's no variation there. Uh, to go back to like, you know, the idea that without distinction, without separation, without individual variation, there's nothing because everything and nothing are the same. And so Tragul always strikes me as what Anu became when Anu deliberately killed itself. Yeah. To, it hung itself from its own tree. And in so, and now we have this spirit that just hangs around sanctuary and doesn't do anything. And when the has question it is never done anything. It never does anything. And the, well, teaches. I was going to say it does do something though. Like it doesn't do direct application, mm-hmm. but, it, but the teaching is doing something. Yes, the teaching is doing something, but my point is that that's what it does. That is its means of affecting the universe. Yeah, it, it attempts to it attempts to impart enlightenment that it received. It's the revelation. It's literally yeah. the spirit of revelation of sanctuary. It's revealing to you what you are and what the Nephilim are, what all Nephilim are, and therefore what all humans are, is not just this weird melange of angel and demon. Uh, that's how they got to the place where they were. That's that's who their ancestors are. But they're not just that. We are not just angel plus demon. We are more than angel or demon. I say we like I'm an actual Nephilim, but I'm not. But you know what I'm talking about. And that's the thing that I find so fascinating about this idea of like why death is the balance. Death is the balance because death is how you learn to see. Death is how you understand, okay, an eternal life with no understanding of death is not life. You can't have life without death. If you don't have death, there's no life. There's just you. And in order for this all to exist, all the suffering that everybody on Sanctuary has to go through is horrific, but it is still kind of necessary. It serves a purpose. It's better to undergo it and understand it than it is to live without it. Because to live without it would be to live without all the stuff you get that is good. Like the the Anu who existed before the creation of Anu Tathamit had nothing. Even though it was everything, it had nothing. It couldn't experience nothing. There was nothing to experience. So it is a fascinatingly weird idea that in order for this to all work out, Rathman knew I have to die. Yeah. And therefore he set it up so that when he died, he'd still be around because he still had to help, but he couldn't be the one to actually like, like Tragul, he couldn't be the one to act, but choosing to teach us what to do is an action. Yeah. You know, it's like, what what is the rush lyric? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Yep. You know, if you choose to, to do something like I can't fight my own father and mother, but I can help you fight them. It's still a choice. Yeah. You're still, you're still essentially fighting them, but you're not, you're, you're aware of your limitations. And, and that's the thing about that's so sad. When you see Rathma and Inarius in the flashback sequence, it's sad that you know you could hear in Rathma's voice that he knows not only that he's going to die, but his own father is going to kill him. And his own father has never cared that he's going to kill him. His father does not care about any of the humans mm-hmm. that are all, he's calling himself the father, but he doesn't, there's no fatherly love there. There's no, 
protection. There's no, no caring about the thing that you made. He's no, he's never seen humans as anything but a mistake. And that's, Inarius refuses to learn. Inarius refuses to be shown the truth unless it agrees with the truth he already believes. And, and we don't know enough about Lilith and her motivations yet to say one way or the other, but we know that Inarius doesn't want to hear it. So yeah, I, I, to go back again, we're kind of looping this episode, I'm sorry, but to go back again to your, your initial statement, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it is what's happening. Entirely possible it isn't, but it is certainly feasible. There is a lot of potential. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's anything else I can add to that one. Matt covered pretty much everything that I could possibly uh, do there. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but I think we're going to move on to our next one here from Sabercat. We have talked a lot about Rathion and Sibelian and how they managed to not be corrupted and stuff. But what about Abyssian? Obviously, he lives with the high mountain Torin. But what's the story, and why isn't he in the running for an Eltharian's legacy slash aspect? Uh, I'm playing catch up on the campaign over the reach. Uh, so there's a lot here. So the prob- the thing was, is being in High Mountain was keeping him protected. Uh, we learned that in Legion. We learned that when we started interacting with him until we and when we found out who he was, is that as long as he stayed there in the ancestral home of what is ostensibly his people, the bargain was made that he would remain safe. Basically, the old god's influence couldn't reach him. He couldn't hear the the corrupting thoughts. And that's where we first started to get our glimpse and some of the idea of the old gods have a limited reach. And that's kind of an important thing because this goes back to Sibelian. This goes back to uh, a lot of the other things. If the old god can't reach you, can't infiltrate you, can't whisper, it's thoughts and dark prophecies to you, it can't affect you. It's sort of like that. I forgot what, what movie it was, but like it's, if you you try to use your uh, superpower of like coercing somebody with like the magic of your words, but they're deaf, it doesn't do anything. So we look, we saw what happened when he went to go help Rathion fight Nazoth at the end of battle for Azeroth where he showed up and almost got corrupted immediately. As a matter of fact, like the minute he stepped out of the reach and Nazoth realized, Oh, Hey, another black dragons on the map for me immediately started trying to worm his way into, uh, into Abyssian's mind space. And it took the effort of Rathion to essentially not even keep Abyssian from hearing the whispers, but to take Abyssian from the site of Nazoth. Because that's what Rathion is, right? Rathion isn't immune to, like, temptation. If he were to hear the right whispers, which we know he can, because as we're going through the current zone, if you're in 10.1 and you're going to Abarus and you're going in the underground layers, Sibelian, Rathion, and Abyssian can still hear echoes. They can still hear, uh, like, the psychic presence that is there. So we know that they're still there, but Rathion is sort of was just not on the radar of Nazoth. Nazoth just couldn't mentally link up with him to do so. And Sibelian was too far away, being an outland, to become corrupted by the Whispers. He had been sent there, the Whispers were gone, and that's also why he didn't come back to Azeroth until after battle for Azeroth was done, because again, he would have been immediately attacked upon the the Whispers. So that's what's going on, and that's why we know uh, that. Do you, anything to add to that portion of that story, Matt? Debussian makes a really nice chocolate souffle. <laughs> no, um, I, no in, in sincerity, uh, Abyssian was protected by uh, there were ward stones around the uh, high mountain area. It's like he tells you this, he's quite he's quite upfront with like the idea that these ward stones are channeling power that is keeping the influence of the old gods from him. Uh, and the, and even when he goes to Thunder Bluff and it goes badly, it's because he's away from the Wardstones. And he says so, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I should have realized what was happening. Um, in terms of Sibelian, we know that Outland had contact with old gods, but we also know that when it became Outland, like when, when it was Draenor, there were, yeah. yeah, the old gods couldn't reach it anymore because it was literally in the middle of a fell firestorm. It's in the nether itself. It was cut off. Yeah, the nether is not a place that the old gods go. Um, it is. It was a place that the the fell energy and the demons went. It is not a place the old gods go. The old gods transverse the universe by other means. And we also know that the old gods don't exactly like fell. 
No, not, they do not. They're not concerned about it per se, but it definitely can disintegrate them. And also, I mean, there's a certain amount of like, even when you go and look at the alternate Draenor that we went to and we see what happens with the Void Lords and so forth, it's not that the Shadow can't reach that world, but there's no old gods directly on it at the time we get there in either in either version. The There's no old gods currently in that world or on it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, whilst the Void can still reach the world, it's much harder for an individual old god to do so. Uh, the old gods are, remember... They were like chunks of, of void stuff thrown into our cosmos to, to serve as kind of like an infectious agent. Yeah, physical their, manifestation of void flung into the universe. Yeah. Their scale is smaller even than the Titan. Like in fact, because they're supposed to infect the Titan before it becomes one. As a result of this, their reach is smaller. Mm-hmm. Just by their nature. That's just because of what they are. Um, when Shogal came to our world, to Azeroth from Draenor at the time, it wasn't blown up yet. But when Chogol set foot on Azeroth, his powers went nuts. He just, boom, blew up. He was like suddenly much more powerful and much, much worse. Because now, instead of the vague, indistinct mutterings of the void itself, which kind of teases but doesn't really reveal much, he suddenly had multiple old gods in his head. Multiple. They were all kind of yelling at him. (laughs) And it's no... It's no... Coincidence that Chogal went from a relatively stable for two headed person to an utter madman. Yeah. You know, and one of my favorite, favorite Chogal moments is when you go to fight him in Cataclysm, when you go to the, the raid where he is and he's having that crazy little, he's trying to have a monologue, but there's two of him. So you don't get a monologue, you get a duologue. And it's like, you know, you, you know, and to say, you know, words, 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 the master wants murder, you know, and that's perfect. That is exactly what happens when you go from, huh, I think I can kind of hear something to everyone yelling crazy stuff in your head 24 seven. And, and that's the difference between Draenor, either Draenor and Azeroth. If you are susceptible to the void, if you are susceptible to the control of the old gods going to outland was a really good move. It wasn't just that he couldn't hear them. They literally could not reach him. Yep. They, they didn't. It's, it's just night and day. Uh, if Chogol had gone back home, he might've calmed down. I mean, he still would have been evil because the guy was evil before, but he would have been like, okay, okay, okay. I think we can think now. No, we should still be killing things. Yes, but should we be killing them for somebody? No, I don't see why we should do somebody else's job. Okay. All right. Okay. Just gonna step back through the portal. Oh no, it's insane time again. Like that. I I really I I know I'm harping on it a little bit, but I really want to make that point that it is not. It's not a failing of the Black Dragon Flight that once exposed to this that they they didn't know what to do that they they kind of fell yeah and and became became Deathwing's little monkey boys because Deathwing himself proves like a strong, powerful intellect is no match for the constant like. I think to convey what the old gods are like, it's you kind of have to talk about certain torture techniques. Um, We're not going to go too deep into any of those. No, 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 no. no. It's not going to be like physical. There's a thing we do to break sieges nowadays where we don't let the people sleep. We just broadcast stuff at them. We, We play loudspeakers. We don't let them get any rest. Imagine having that in your head all the time. And it never stops. Yeah. And what is it like? You can only go without sleep for so many days before you start to break down. Yeah. Now, imagine if you're a dragon, you're an enormous, powerful being that very few things are a threat to you. Like, you know, you're a dragon. What the heck is, you know, I'm going to, um, a whisper is going to bug me. Now you go a hundred years and you don't get any rest in that entire time. You think eventually they're going to break mm-hmm. just because it's just, I just want to take you. Dragons are notorious for liking to sleep. You know, they like to pile themselves around to all sorts of cool stuff and then sleep on it. That's what they do. They're like enormous cats. Now imagine you didn't let your cat sleep for like two days. Your cat would be ripping chunks out of you. I, I, I really, I feel like this is something to be said. It isn't that they were weak. It's not that they're inherently corrupted. It's that they were vulnerable and they didn't have their aspect looking out for them. Instead, he was on team. Let's go nuts. You know? And that's not really even his fault. We don't know how long Notharian fought this. We don't like clearly at least some of the stuff he was doing was trying to figure out how a way to protect himself and his flight. 
Like you see that in the, in the weird experiments he's running. Uh, so yeah, I honestly don't know how to, to convey that, but it is important to convey that. Uh, Avarice is creepy as hell, by the way. Um, yeah. And for a lot of reasons. And uh, that's actually the second part of this, this, this question that we can start getting into a little bit, I think, but like, so we're talking about what's going on with the claiming of the legacy or the aspecthood of Neltharian and why Abyssian's not in it. But like, I think part of it is understanding sort of the depths of what was going on. So as you're making your way through Abris, as you're making your way through the underground labyrinth of, of uh, essentially discarded pieces um, of like his experimentations, his research and his psyche, because there are recordings that were left behind. There were uh, things that cataloged uh, what was going on. We're literally going into his lab and, and starting to see sort of like the descent and what happened. You start to realize that maybe he was more susceptible to the old God whispering, not just because of his proximity, but because of some of the stuff he was trying to do. Like the, the whole shadow flame thing we've known about shadow flame since the original, uh, World of Warcraft since the original fight when in Blackwing Lair when we took on his son and Shadowflame was a thing that would kill you instantly instantly and it combined all of the aspects of fire and the the magma of the deep places this like you think Alex Straza has fire she's got nothing on the black dragon flight when it comes to this but it combined it with the powers of void and and sort of created something that burned hotter and deeper and corrupted instantly there's a portion as you're doing the intro, and again, mild spoilers if you haven't done the intro to to Abris and, and, and going into the underground layers, where you and Sibelian and Abyssian and Rathion are all trying to go and help because you're trying to, you one, you owe a debt, like Abyssian owes a debt or feels they owes a debt to uh, some of the Drakthir, and the Drakthir are going there to either reclaim their legacy and also fight against the Sundered Flame. But you come across... Firak, and as he's trying to absorb all of the shadow flame, not some of it, all of it, this giant nexus in the middle of the cavern that is combining the elements of void and the deep magma of Azeroth into this shadow flame entity. And he does so, and he tries to spit fire at you, and, and Abyssian throws up a barrier, so does Sibelian, the barrier falls. Sibelian takes a hit of it and it starts to immediately corrupt him. He can start to hear the whispers. He can start to now feel the loss of control and keep in mind, there's no technically, and I'm air quoting this. There's no old gods on Azeroth anymore. Maybe (laughs) we'll get to that later. I'm sure at some point, but the minute that void touches him, the minute it comes in contact with that millisecond, he immediately starts to hear the whispers and goes deep and, and starts to like fight against it. It's taking everything he has. And then you start to realize that maybe Rathion or sorry, maybe Neltharion didn't make a deal outside of here's the deal. Stop bothering me. Because if it was that incessant from that small thing, imagine what that would have been like, what doors would have been open with an old God being active in the deep places. Now to answer your question from my perspective, why isn't Abyssian in the running? I think he is. And as a matter of fact, I'm starting to believe that all three of them are, and for very good reason. After doing the intro quest and, and seeing how all three of them interact, and I'm not sure why I didn't see this before, but I'm starting to make the connections now. Each one of them, all three of them represent a very specific key aspect of the Earth Warder's personality. Rathion is the charisma and brashness that he absolutely had. We know he had it. Um, he would charm people as a noble. He would. He had an entire like charismatic pull about him that has now passed on to his son. Sibelian is the tactically minded, the very pragmatic one of the group, where that is definitely an aspect of Neltharion, where it was the planner, the 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 not not necessarily the schemer, but he could be the schemer, but he saw things tactically. He saw things very cleanly. And you can see this in the interaction between uh, Sibelian and Rathion. And then you have Abyssian, who is the heart and spirit and the the sense of commitment and duty and honor that Neltharion once had. All three of them together 
are essentially what Neltharion was before his fall. And I find that absolutely fascinating. And if we got a resolution where all three of them became a shared aspect, I wouldn't be mad. In fact, I might actually be happy because the three of them perfectly balance each other out. And that's what I'm starting to get from this storyline. So Abyssian's not out of the running for it, but I don't think he's going to do it alone. And now I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk. Uh, are we under the impression I haven't talked enough on this show? Um, <laughs> I was enjoying the rest of my vocal cords. Uh, I, I don't really have a ton more to add on that subject. I do think that Abyssian is not the type to put himself forward. Abyssian is used to being the wise advisor who has stood at the, at the side of a leader for countless generations now. He has stood at the side of a leader and advised them. He hasn't actually stepped forward to lead himself, uh, possibly because he knew of his family legacy, possibly because he didn't want to be like Deathwing. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to psychoanalyze him when we haven't seen as much for, of him as we have of the other two. But I definitely think that Abyssian is the kind of person who will absolutely do what needs to be done, who will step up and lead if leadership is what people need from him, but is much more comfortable with the role of advisor. He's comfortable as the guy who says, uh, I don't think I, you should do that. And you can see aspects of that when he's like bossing around the other two. Like yeah. he's literally giving them directives and telling them to like shut their wine holes and like, listen, we got stuff to do. Go do this now. Like he takes yeah. charge. He can. But that's the thing. When he takes charge, it's very much your exasperated dad in the car telling you he will turn this. I will turn this dragon flight around if you don't you know, shape up. That's Abyssian's role in the group. I don't know how they're going to handle the whole aspect thing. Maybe they're just going to decide they don't need aspects anymore. I don't know. But of the three of them, Abyssian's role is essentially as the governor, not literally in a mechanical sense. He's the thing that keeps too much Rathion or too much Sibelian from ascending to the top. Like when, when the gauges start going to full Rathion, he pulls it back. When, when it's, Oh no, we're where we have too much Sibelian build up. He pushes it back down. He vents it. And in the process of doing that, he kind of displays his own personality, which he has never really gotten to do when he was always as the advisor to the high mountains. He was never center stage. Yeah. He never stepped up to try to take, control of it right yeah he thought his role was to be that advisor and now suddenly he finds himself it's not the high mountain he's worried about it's his own people and amongst his own people he doesn't have to like know his place and and let them handle it because it's their it's their destiny their identity this is his destiny too he is a, as much a black dragon as anybody and he, and in a way he's the oldest and most experienced black dragon like, he's older than either Sibelian or Rathion. He might not be older than Sibelian. I don't know how old Sibelian but he's definitely older than Rathion. He and is, he's right? been around. He's not as old as Abyssian, because Abyssian is old, like War of the Ancients old. Um, yeah, we don't know if Sibelian is that old. We, Sibelian, we I don't think, is that old, because he was... Sibelian was from the second consort, right? No, no. Sibelian is still a child of, of Sinestra. Okay. Syntharia. Um We don't know... Like I said, I, as far as I know, and I, I could go look it up again, but from right now, just from the top of my head, uh, just like uh, Anixia and uh, Neltharian, uh, Sibelian is of that generation. So he could be... He's of he's he's the same ilk of Nixandra and them. Yeah. So we don't know how old he is, but he is pretty old. But regardless, you cannot just say Abyssian. You can't push Abyssian out to like young, you know, you, you know whelps and all that. No. You've got to treat Abyssian with the same respect you would treat any other old dragon because he is an old dragon. And that's the other thing, too, is like we don't know how like the court of Sibelian would react if Abyssian showed up and just revealed himself either, because like yeah. he hasn't done that. Right. He hasn't shown oh, up. Yeah. He hasn't shown up at the seat and said, by the way, I'm older than all of you and I'm the rightful heir because he is like he could do he could that. Certainly he just, make a, could certainly make a claim and they would probably follow him. Or they'd at least listen. Like they might, like they owe Sibelian personally. Like you know, they they feel that Sibelian saved them, so they would they wouldn't just throw him over, but they would listen because this is an ancient dragon who has earned the right to be respected and listened to. Rathion is just taking it. He hasn't been he hasn't really earned it, and he knows that, and that actually makes him more insecure. 
a little bit the whole thing and you see a little bit of that too like when he when you're in getting interaction between sabellian and and rathion in the caverns as well because we haven't been privy to all their conversations rathion is like playing up the role that he played in like besting nazoth trying to earn sabellian's respect and and sort of not admiration but he wants to be seen on equal footing with sabellian so he's Mm -hmm. embellishing his role right and then as we show up in Abyssian uh, interacts with it as well, you know, there's this interaction where Sibelian's like, I thought you said you single-handedly beaten us off, you know? And, like, it, it, this comes into this whole thing where it's like, Matt's right, Rathian's trying to take it, but I also think he's trying to guile his way into it as much as he has taken as you know? Yeah, he wants, he wants to be respected. Yeah. It, in a lot of ways, I feel like when he feels respected, that's when he's easiest to deal with. Because he's not unreasonable. Well, that's why he got along with Anduin. Yeah. If he feels respected, then he will, he will, I don't want to say behave, but he'll be more easy to understand and deal with because he then throttles back himself and listens. Yeah. If he's like, okay, they get how cool I am. I will now, I I can now relax a little bit. And now that we know we've established how cool I am. I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's a little, I think it's even a little, not even the cool factor. I think it's a, they'll actually respect and listen to me and aren't going to view me as a well-playing. Yeah. And therefore I don't have to constantly try to hammer my ideas home. Yeah. But definitely Abyssian deserves as much consideration as he chooses to take for himself. He doesn't, he doesn't have to want to be the leader. He doesn't have to put himself forward because he, he already knows like he's been around long enough to know his worth and know, okay, I do have things to contribute to this. If you two will not listen, I will make you listen because we don't have time for this. Yeah. You know, and that is the interesting thing about the whole situation. And and I love, and I love those little moments of him yelling at them. He's like, I don't care about your two's squabble. I have an obligation and honor debt to uphold. And I'm going to go and do that. Whether you want me to leave you here and leave you behind and not support you while I go do that. That's your choice. Or you can honor the debt that that we have accrued to these people and referencing the drag fear. And then they go and follow him because of him basically shaming them, <laughs> but pointing yeah, out them on their bullshit. Cause they are not unreasonable themselves. When you're really at the heart of it. Yeah. And, and who else can do that? Who else can tell them to, to stop their keening and whining and to like, you know, stop being children because essentially they're still children. Abyssian is the oldest of them by a good long chunk of time. You know, thousands of years potentially at this point, because again, we don't know how old Sibelian is, but in the grand scheme of things, Sibelian's young. He's as he's he's closer to Rathion's age than he is Abyssian's age, if I had to put any money on it. So I think that's I think that's interesting. But I mean we could also argue whether or not he's older in terms of time. Serving under Deathwing means you don't get to make your own decisions. Yes. Uh Whereas versus serving or serving or growing up and being raised by Holm High Mountain, like that, where you're made part of the group and you're taught responsibility and respect and you're allowed to make decisions and then feel the weight of your decisions. You're the one who survives. Yeah. Holm dies. Holm's children die. Their children die. You're the one who's there. You're the living memory of those people. Yeah. You are the legacy. Yeah. You feel your age in a way that even Sibelian, however old he is, he says he's been pursuing the rebellion of his flight for millennia. Uh, I remember that. I don't know. I don't know what that means in terms of what he's talking about. Maybe he's just, maybe it's like Rathian, like Bravado. I don't know. But regardless of how old he is, he was never allowed to be his own dragon until he went to Outland and he was alone and he didn't have whispers in his head and he didn't have his father. Because I, even if you know your father's crazy nuts, it is very hard to stand against your someone like that. Like, yes, we're going to defy Deathwing. Deathwing, the enormous dragon who kills worlds. We're going to go stop that guy. Okay. You know, it's it's a big difference. Uh, so I do think Abyssian definitely... I, I don't dislike at all the idea of him being either the aspect or the, you know, one of three that become like the heads of Black Dragons. But I definitely think that part of the problem in terms of why he isn't, you know, seen as a, a prospect is that he himself inherently does not push for himself. Both Sibelian and Rathian are putting themselves forward. They're saying, no, no, pick me. Sibelian is more like, look, I don't give a rats who's in charge. Let's get this done. Yeah. 
he's like, we, we, we have work to do. Let's go do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my opinion as to why he's not considered one of the front runners for this thing, because he doesn't see it as an, a useful thing to do. Like we have this war against these ancient foes. We have to deal with that. We have to protect our people and keep our promises. After we do all that, y'all can fight over who gets to sit in the big chair. But it doesn't matter who sits in the chair. It matters who gets up and does things. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that is I think his the only reason that I would put not put him forward as leader is the fact that he just does not seem to want to be the leader. Yeah. And to a certain degree, you need a leader who wants to be leader. Even if you need him to want it for the right reason, you do need him to want it. And maybe that'll change. We don't know how this expansion is going to end, right? Maybe we'll get the synthesis you're talking about where each of them realizes I do this really well. Like Rathion would be a great face for the black dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Send him as the diplomat, send him to go deal with everybody. We got to negotiate a treaty or something. Rathion is perfect for this. If we have to like palliate, you know, an an outraged ally, send Rathion. Um, You need to like try and get the enemy to like, you know, consider our point of view. Rathion's really good for this. We need to, um, we need to, we need to strategize the logistics of maintaining a society at X, Y, Z or strategize our defenses. Sibelian's your go-to. That's mm-hmm. what he does really, really well. Um, and you know, so, so there are areas they're all good at, but in terms of leading, maybe they don't need one single leader. Maybe they need a, a, a group. Maybe it's time for dragons as a whole to not have just four or five people who tell them what to do. I don't know. But I definitely think that there's Sibelian and Rathion are certainly interesting characters, but that doesn't mean Abyssian isn't interesting. Uh, he He's actually really complex. It's kind of like when people watch Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine, it's easy to get distracted by flashy characters like Kor or Martok or Gowron. But Worf is not dull. Worf is not un- uninteresting just because he's fairly stable and honorable he's still the guy who kills gowron you know like at the end of the day Worf put gowron on that chair and and when he decided it was time for gowron to come out of the chair he took him out of it uh it, it and that's kind of how abyssian feels to me like somebody like who'd absolutely put one of the two on the chair if he had to and absolutely take one of the two out of the chair if he had to. Yeah. And, and I think that's, they're starting to learn that too, which is what the most interesting dynamic of it is, right? Like uh, everything that's happening right now in the current 10.1 patch, that is the thing I'm most keyed into. And that I'm the most interested in is how that dynamic shape shaping out because there is shifting, there is transition happening. There is understanding and, uh, because the other thing too is each one of these individuals has not been used to having an equal, right? So Abyssian, because of his isolation and not wanting to lead the high mountain people, uh, has sort of just lived an isolated life. Also, long time believing he was the last black dragon in existence. Yeah. Right. At so that's the last one that wasn't, you know, serving the old gods or whatever. Right. He had no idea anything to do with like, what was happening outside of high mountain because he didn't go anywhere. He couldn't go anywhere. Um, you have Rathion who that has been a key thing. Like go and read the books, any book or any writing that involves Rathion. It's this overwhelming sense of isolation. Even when he submits the orders to like kill corrupted black dragons, it's not, he's doing it willy nilly. He understands that the, while they are black dragons and they're technically my family, they're corrupted to a point I can't save them, or at least not that I know of yet. When he at the time he doesn't know that what the source of the corruption is, or that he can do anything about it. He didn't figure that out till later, and so you feel completely isolated. That's why his relationship with Anduin was such a big deal because it was the first time he didn't feel as isolated. But Anduin's still not a dragon, you know. Even if Anduin has the weight of everything he went through in the Shadowlands on his shoulders, he's gonna die someday, and he's gonna die in the next you know, whatever, 60, 70, 80 years, however long humans live in Warcraft, um, you know. Even if he lives as long as an elf. It's still uh, a blink of the eye to a dragon. Yeah, dragons can live theoretically forever. That like, we, know we, don't of. Know, we don't know of an age that they age out on. Whereas, like, without the power of magic, elves live a couple thousand years. Like, it, Dathomar lived a long time, but he did die. Yeah. 
Anisterian is, you know, died because he was killed, but he was also old. Anisterian wasn't going to be around too much longer. That's why he was trying to get Kael'thas ready. Yep. He knew, I don't have that much more time. You need to start stepping up. So, and, yeah. And, and and dragons don't have that. And then you have Sibelian, who was an Outland and mm-hmm. was left in charge after his father left him. And while he has, pe- like, dragons that were you know, quote unquote, maybe equals an age. They're still subservient to him because he was put in charge. He's the, the scion of Naltharian. They're going to follow him and he's doing everything he can to keep them safe. He doesn't really have an equal. He hasn't had a brother. He hasn't well, had somebody who can tell him to shut up. He hasn't. Yeah, had, exactly. And now he's got two and that, that, that constant dynamic. And, and, and I can tell you as somebody who, you know, grew up with a very like limited family and then reaching out to extended family, like finally getting to meet my older half sisters and things like that. The family dynamic shifts. My personality shifted as a result of that, right? Like it's, it's just a thing that happens and you're starting to see that in 10.1 and I am absolutely here for it. So where this goes, we're going to find out, but to go back to the root of the question, Abyssian is absolutely in the running. It's just a matter of how it's going to shake out at the end. Any parting thoughts, Matt, before I do our little outro? I want some of that souffle he makes. It's really good. <sighs> Chocolates would be so good right now. Dragons make amazing dark chocolate treats. It's just, it's one of the many, many things they do. Yep. All right, folks. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions of patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ad-free site experience. Again, friends, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it is for, please, in the subject line. You can also hit us up on our Discord server if you are a Patreon supporter. Once again, thank you for keeping the lights on. We give you first billing. Uh, as a matter of fact, all three of these questions from this episode are from wonderful Patreon supporters. Thank you. Uh, you can send those questions in to our Patreon Q and podcast questions channel. Uh, and if you can't support us on Patreon, again, we appreciate you just listening to our show. It does actually mean a whole lot to us. Uh, you can also continue to support us without money by making sure you share our pro- like our, our finished product with your friends and tell them to listen to us. It really does help and leave a review when you can. That also helps. Uh, but you can send us those questions into our podcast and Q questions channel on our discord server. Uh, and one thing I will ask is if you are a first time uh, sender of a question, please give us the phonetic uh, pronunciation for the name that you want us to read the question as it helps a lot. And I don't want to butcher people's names and I'm, probably going to apologize a game to Razorberg because I've done that a bunch. <laughs> yeah, he has. <laughs> All right, friends. Not that I'm any better, but you know. yeah, <laughs> it does help us. Uh, but with that, friends, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.